Central. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Central. How you doing? This is Dusty Rhodes and welcome to Tech Radio. For 10 years, the number one Irish tech podcast bringing you the latest in tech from around Ireland and across the world. Remember as well as our show on air with RTE and online via the website or your favourite podcasting app, we do keep you bang up to date on all things tech every single day with hourly updates and daily newsletters which you can grab for free at techcentral.ie. Now, this week is a very exciting week here in Ireland because it is Science Week, supported by the Sounds Foundation of Ireland, with no less than 12 separate science festivals happening right now in various towns and cities across the country, including Cavan, Monaghan, Cork, uh, Galway, Wexford, Limerick, Mayo, the Midlands, Sligo, Tipperary and more. The idea of Science Week is brilliant and we've discussed it every year on the on the show through various feature interviews that we've done. It's about getting people of all ages, not just kids. I mean, kids are important, but people of all ages to come along and to whet their curiosity with all kinds of science and the whole gamut and the whole range of everything from space exploration to nanotechnology. And they do it in a really, really fun, engaging way as well. Uh, take a listen to this. Just a, There's a huge, comprehensive list of events planned for the weekend. I've just pulled out some that are happening on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, there's a cool planet experience in Wicklow. Uh, they've got a reptile zoo in Offaly, an Apollo 11 workshop in Dublin, VR 3D drawing in Cork and communicating with extraterrestrials in Sligo. So you can see just the range of events that are happening and where they are happening as well. For full details and to check out some cool Science Week stuff that is happening near you this weekend, you can check out the full guide, which is at www.scienceweek.ie. Now, for our interview this week, we're talking to the Kilkenny-based animation studio Cartoon Saloon, who have a number of Oscar-nominated films to their credit, including The Secret of Kells, Song of the Sea and The Breadwinner. During the week, Niall Kitson had a great chat on the phone with CEO and co-founder Paul Young, and they talked about the impact of technology, especially on how their films are made and also on how they're distributed. I guess an interesting place to start is in looking at the relationship between the animation industry and technology because I think more than any other kind of film, the two are so inextricably linked. You can't have progress in one without the other. Would that be a fair thing to say? Oh, yeah. Well, even in the early days, I think, um, of animation, Walt Disney invented so many things like the multiplane camera and it's always been tied very, very... Um, very succinctly with technology or like they really went hand in hand for us we've seen loads of different things we've had um, we started out with our first movie The Secret of Cows it was all hand drawn on paper but even the, even the technology then we were even to be able to make that independently meant we could scan those pencil drawings even if we had to do like 24s in a second or 12 a second and we shipped them all around the world like from Brazil to Hungary in boxes to be cleaned up on paper from that point, that was already an advance for us because we weren't ha- we didn't have to like shoot things with a camera. We were able to scan them into software and uh, color them in on the computer or add a background in Photoshop and things like that and layer them, layer the the, the images uh, digitally as opposed to buying a very expensive um, multiplane camera. But um, and then that changed from paper 
which we all had in boxes outside our server. I remember one year, Christmas, one in a flood. Uh, she like uh, uh, digital drawing on Wacom tablets. So was an interesting story there because we had all the paper from the Secret of Cows, all these drawings that were going to Trinity College for archiving. Um, and we had a flood in the studio. And it's funny, the paper saved the server where all the digital Song of the Sea was on. It soaked up the water, so it prevented it from getting into the server room, which would have been an absolute disaster. <laughs> so in many ways, the old tech of just having drawings on paper kind of rescued the new digital, digital version. So it's always been very, um, very really hand-in-hand, hand, and it's helped reduce costs for us and it helped us be able to work with other countries easier because we were able to, like see what they're doing live um, from Canada to Ireland or, or from France to, to Ireland when we're working with artists over there. One of the problems that we find in the technology industry is that there there is this skills gap, this digital divide out there between um, the the I don't want to say quite the haves and the have-nots because it's it's not always a matter of physically getting the technology into people's hands. It's getting you know the the skills that come along with using it. When you're moving from hand-drawn onto um, a purely digital model. Did you find that there was a problem in upskilling artists that you were working with who had who already had the raw talent, the ability to draw, mm-hmm. but didn't have those technological skills? Um, only with, not really. I must say, there was a few guys that were more veteran. I'd, I'd put it that way in the industry that we were brilliant animators and they were used to drawing on paper, and particularly cleanup artists, people who who are highly skilled at. Um, cleaning up a rough animation you know you've got a rough character animation that an animator goes through just to get through a scene and then that has to be cleaned up to look like every other drawing you know the same line thickness and all and then when we move to drawing on the Wacom tablets and not on paper anymore those guys had a bit of adjustment but generally speaking most of the crews that we were having coming in because we, we were young ourselves and we already started using digital Photoshop and things like that we were quite used to working with computers. So there wasn't, it wasn't really that much of a challenge in upskilling people. It usually took, it usually would take about three to four weeks for somebody to just get used to a particular so, software. But the software that was made generally kind of um, felt like uh, an animation desk, if you know what I mean, even to the point where you could turn around the light box table so the, the, the people were clever enough in some of the software companies to make it very recognizable as a drawing desk as it were so there was uh, there was there was ways where we um where it didn't seem like such a big leap so it wasn't so much that we had trouble upskilling it was actually still at the end of the day if you were a good artist and you could draw well and you were clear uh, communicator when it comes to drawing it didn't really matter. We just always considered the computer just another pencil, a very fancy pencil, really. And seeing as you're using technology like Photoshop, like hardware from, from Wacom, do they have a two-way conversation with you as a, an animation studio going, how are we doing here? Is there something we can develop to make your life easier? Or do you kind of have to assess what's coming down the line and make a decision as to whether it's right for you? Yeah, well, on on a, on a, on the on the Wacom, and then there's Cintiqs. I believe I'm not even sure whether Cintiq is the same um, manufacturer as Wacom. But generally, those the hardware, not so much. But they were getting feedback. They're, they're used all over the world, so they must be getting feedback um, directly from from some people. 
not so much from us really we kind of liked we, we kind of were um, we did like Wacom they've sponsored a few things but in the software a bit more so yeah certainly the TV paint software we use they would they would come to us because we had so many people using that software also Moho which we did a Puff and Rock and Pete the Cat those guys would their tech teams would um, talk to our technical supervisors and our technical directors and, and see where things can be improved we actually did in one in one case, we I think we 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 were working with them. They gave us a bunch of uh, software to to work on the project, and they were quite happy that we were using their software on a TV series that they knew was going to be seen by a lot of people. So they were they were very accommodating in in addressing issues we had, you know, and and gave us some actual free workstations or free uh, software to sort of work collaboratively with them or collaboratively with them to develop the software. One thing that um, I know studios are grappling with at the moment is the problem of how people are actually watching films. They're, they're using uh, their smartphones. They've got improved uh, resolution all the time. We're, we're getting iPhones now and, and Samsung smartphones with HDR capability. Um, does that present a unique challenge to you to sort of sit down and go, do you know what, people are maybe watching this stuff on a 5.5-inch screen, but we have to accept the fact that you know it's, it's going to blow up to, to cinema size as well does that have any impact on how you're producing films at the moment because i know there is a a a similar movement in music at the moment where songs are being recorded at a deliberately lower resolution or uh, encoding because the studios know that um they're going to be listened to on very poor quality devices is there uh, a similar debate going on within animation and the movies that Okay, people are going to be going to cinema, but they're also going to be using smartphones as well. Yeah, I think I I would say that overall it's been fairly positive change. You know, before yeah, we did we we, we would put stuff we had to put stuff on film, and that, that just to be just on the whole digital side of things that used to drive us a bit crazy because you some you have this you, the film you work so hard and for like three or four years to. Um, to make every frame of it look a particular way and sometimes the print would let you down by the end and you'd go into a cinema and that print was bad, would get bad, had been badly damaged and you'd have like the sound would be not <laughs> the projector uh, like they'd come down to the projectionist like failing you on the last turn <laughs> because you know it's a not a very experienced projectionist and then you've got a terrible he's not he's not linked up to sound correctly or the sound is not set correctly to the right volume so those things are the, the 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 more we can limit that, that's what made sort of digital projection for us much easier because you can kind of pretty much guarantee whatever is on the hard drive or the the the, the delivery to the digital projector is going to be what you wanted and color corrected as you wanted, um, and then you go and then and what people used to get annoyed with is you'd go on an airplane and you'd see it in these tiny screens and it wasn't pro res down or something like that. So generally we address it. It's it it, ha- it hasn't been such an issue for us. Ultimately, we want the, mo- the most amount of people to see our film as possible. Now, less, the less people downloading it illegally and pirating it, the better. And, and what I'm finding is better now is that there's more ways now. That's what is always what we used to say. If you were, if you, if, if people will happily contribute if they can get it easily. If it's not a hassle for them to, to if they'll pay for something if they can pay for it and it's easy, you know, like and more and more that's beginning to happen even though that's still a challenge 
but you know generally speaking um if you have if you if if you make your project or film easily acceptable and if and somebody can pay two ninety nine to rent it they'll quite happily pay two ninety nine rather than trying to search a pirate site I think in general it's moving that way but as far as the the recording we would we would really the, it's made it very easy to deliver but before we had to send off digital tapes for television we would have to have sent to like every broadcaster that we sold Puff and Rock to for example we would have to be sending either a beta tape or a digital tape it just cost a fortune so we've cut out a lot of middlemen now we're able to deliver digitally whatever format they want the file ProRes or Res down to so our editors here would have our 4K um, cinema experience that the film is in and that had to make changes. That meant that meant hardware upgrades and and uh, software upgrades to to get that high definition. But generally speaking, animation, we had to sort of do one sort of uh, painful ad- adaption. You know, I think halfway through the the series actually. But sometimes animation can't be upraised easily enough um, uh, to to the more higher def. And then you just start the production out with a higher images. You know, in your Photoshop, but Generally, then we down-res from there. And so if it's going to be watched on the phone, we're not so worried. Like, if we've got something on Netflix or, or, or on YouTube, um, usually the, the the distributor is handling that. Like, Netflix has figured out how, you know, the project is going to look better on, on a smartphone than it is on a smart TV, a 4K smart TV. And, the, and they'll basically ask us to deliver, you know... Um, just the highest definition possible and they figure out the rest which is good you know and there's a very high standards they have for quality control which we've had to go through and the post-production place we work with in in dublin has had to um be tested for which is challenging but i think that's all a positive thing because i think they're very tech-minded anyway as the likes of like um amazon and netflix are very tech savvy so and as a as, as a producer who works with them we know they're going to look after our, you know, end product. So I know that there's a big difference in, in music. In one sense, I've, I've, I know some music producers who are already adjusting the, the sound output of what they produce so that, they, so that the song sounds better with tinny speakers. <laughs> you know, they're adjusting for smartphones on a bus for kids to listen on the back of a bus, but they're going to hear you know, the sound coming out of their smartphone. And that, to me, is like, all right, that's a whole other thing for me. That's like um, they're making a product that's definitely for smartphones. And I imagine how they produce uh, the um, sound and the and the image is, is going to be different. They might be making a calculated decision. We know this is going to be played by, this album is going to be played by kids off their smartphones. So they're going to produce the sound for that. We're aiming for cinema when it comes to our feature films and we're aiming for like TV screens when it comes to our TV series, knowing that, you know, some kids might watch it on smartphones. Um, but generally speaking, uh, we, we can produce a, a version of it that's suitable for that. And, and a lot of the time it's our distributor is deciding that. When you're looking at, uh, as you say, songs that are being uh, produced with a, a view to being playing played on smartphone speakers, uh, even not necessarily uh, headphones, going to the basis of, of all this audience research is data, um, and mm. 
with the Netflix model, you can certainly see that they can tell which um, which shows have been particularly successful because they start ploughing money into uh, further original content into specific areas that maybe they would have bought in initially. Where does data play a role in the projects you decide to pursue yourselves? I mean, is it, is it a matter of going, okay, The Secret of Kells did really well. Maybe there's a good market in the, in the diaspora. Or did you just go, okay, something like The Breadwinner is different. It's, an, it's a story you're not going to see anywhere else. Uh, it's got a really um, positive message to it. Maybe we should just follow projects that interest us instead. Yeah, well, that, I mean, that's it's more the latter. It's more like we're such a we're not a quite the big studio. We don't gather a great deal of data um, ourselves and look into that. A lot of the time, the only way a project can be made of a certain quality, I have found, is is um, that um, the people behind it and executing it are very passionate about that project. So all our decisions on the projects we make are generally come down to the passion that the director or the creator of that project has for it because what I warn them is you're going to be working, living with the project for at least five years of your life. (laughs) So it's like, as Tom says, he's cast the plot out his future life in chunks of like five years. And so what's he going to spend his time working on? So generally speaking, we we focus on the story. Um, If if the characters find it interesting, if, if we start coming across really interesting designs we haven't seen ourselves before or original, we try to make everything... We try to look at the projects we're doing as being evergreen so that they last a long time. So, a, so like a Jungle Book type example. Or that The great thing about doing animation for kids is there's, there's, they don't quite grow old as much as live action films. So we try to create characters that stand the test of time. We generally don't tackle topical issues or current affairs or be too popular like what's ever popular currently now. We try to keep characters that are will last a long time so that kids might still want to watch years from now and they won't seem dated um, because we keep a very illustrative style too. We're not doing CGI, which generally the more CGI technolo- or technology advances and the people try to do kind of realistic CGI, the older ones do look a little bit dated where we're going back to actually just drawings. And we're trying to focus on, on, on drawing and painting. Um, it's a little bit like when photography came in after painting the painters had to get a little bit more expressionist because they kind of went oh well somebody's actually able to reproduce that landscape better than I can paint it so I have to think about how can I make painting more interesting and make it more expressive or connect through um, using painting in a different way we so that's going off on a bit of a sidetrack but in general um, we try to we, the, the, the choices we make when it comes to developing something come down to how passionate the team is about it and about the story so we get we get sent lots of ideas from outside but generally we we look to our creators inside to ask them what is it that you really feel passionate about and do and then we're just hoping that um there's obviously a little bit of research we when we when we write the script it does take a long time so we script and we make a storyboard and animatic and we will show that to children even in black and white um, comic book form, moving comic book basically to kids, and a lot of the time they, they, when even the young kids think that sometimes the last film and their comment might only be, "Oh, maybe you should color it in," which we always find kind of funny. But if they've, they've, if they've got the story and they like the characters, then we take their feedback there, and that might influence the next round of the animatic um, before we actually go into full production. So there's a good two years really of development of a project, um, and 
we get some feedback then but generally we're hoping that the, 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 if we like it as we're making it we're hoping other people will so I think it's very hard for us to rely on the data if we even got the data we, we, it'd be great to have the data Netflix have in our movies but we don't have, they don't share that information apart from that somebody must be liking it because they're asking us to do more which is great um, so they must see that there's clusters that they have around the world that are into you know uh, authentic kind of Irish storytelling or stories about Ireland and also basically stories that um, that maybe the the larger studios aren't focusing on you know that aren't doing so it's the, I think they like I think they're seeing that there's audience around that like to see something like the breadwinner which is which is something that a big larger studio might find challenging to take on and that was Niall Kitson talking on the phone to Paul Young, CEO of Cartoon Saloon in Kilkenny. That's it for our show this week. Remember, you can get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more on our website at techcentral.ie. Or, of course, listen to us every week online or Fridays at 5pm on DAB Digital Radio with RTE Radio 1X. Until next time, from myself, Dusty Rhodes, thank you so much for listening and have a great weekend. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie. Tech Radio is produced by digitalaudioproductions.com. Tech Central.